Welcome back to the Recalibrate Podcast. I'm your host, JC. Each week, I talk about my experience in ways that I've made small shifts in certain areas to improve my mindfulness, mental health, and happiness. Just want to pop in before the discussion with Shayna. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. It was an amazing conversation. I just want to put a brief warning that we will be discussing eating disorders and relationship with food and body. So if that is something that you are currently struggling with, I do think that this conversation can be extremely comforting and helpful, but I just want to put this little blurb in there if you are not at a place to hear conversation on this topic. Today, I am so, so excited to have Shayna Painter on the podcast. Shayna is a licensed nutritionist, a certified nutrition specialist, and the founder of Nourished by Shay. Shayna is on a mission to help women ditch dieting, reclaim their vitality, and nourish with ease using intuitive eating and root cause medicine. She has helped hundreds of women heal their relationship with food and balance their hormone and gut health. Shayna, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much, JC. I'm so excited to be here and share. I met Shayna like three years ago through a company called Parsley Health, and I have followed her on Instagram ever since. I am absolutely obsessed with all of your content, and I feel like you have such refreshing takes on social media. Thank I, you. Like, I try. Yeah. <laughs> I've unfollowed so many people just because I feel like people say crazy stuff sometimes, but whenever I see your content, it feels so validating and comforting to me. So I appreciate everything you post. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy to hear that because that's really the intention of sharing on social media for me is that connection aspect, building community, seeing where we can all share our similarities rather than our differences and not being so controversial. I think there's a lot of controversial content. And although it's great for views, great for getting followers and all of that, I think sometimes it's just a lot and we need a little bit more warm and fuzzy connection and and depth on social media. Yeah, definitely. And so many people post such unrealistic content on their social media and your content is always so relatable to me and it just makes me feel not alone like you actually post real emotions and real things that you're facing in your day-to-day basis and not just posting a highlight reel on your Instagram. 100%. Yeah, we, I mean, if you get caught in that comparison trap of like everything's a highlight reel, you start to internalize that and I realized that happened to me so early on cuz I was actually talking to my mom before we hopped on the podcast and I realized the first time I ever created a social media account was back in 2006 six when Facebook went from being for only college kids to actually being for everyone. And so I've been on social media throughout the entire development of what we've used it for. And I've seen people come and go. And really the biggest thing is how do you become relatable? How do you become someone's best friend? I think the beautiful thing that's happening on TikTok right now is so many people are sharing from this lens of like, I'm on FaceTime with my best friend and that's how I approach my content. And that is really where social media was was created from is this idea of connection of you have your best friend who you follow and they share not only the highlight reels and what they do, but also to like those nitty gritty moments that sometimes don't feel great to share, but it keeps us all in connection and keeps us all understanding that we're not very different. Yeah, definitely. One of my favorite things about your content is that you post such helpful content on becoming more intuitive with your body in all of the ways, intuitive eating, intuitive living. And I'm so passionate about encouraging other people to get back in touch with their bodies instead of forcing themselves to do things that don't feel good. And it's constantly something I'm working on as well. I feel like I was intaking so much content about what the quote unquote best way to live your life in a mindful, healthy way. And 
And that's one of the reasons that I created Recalibrate because I wanted to just empower people to find what works in their own bodies. And I feel like you're the perfect person for that. What was your journey like becoming more intuitive with your body? Mm-hmm. That's such a good question. I think it's important to give context to where I was so that way we can come forward to where I'm at now. And really looking back, I was raised by a single mom. Unfortunately, my mom had a lot of health problems. So I was really in a lot of medical offices and hospitals around a lot of doctors for probably the first 12, if not 13 years of my life. And so I had a lot of exposure into health. And that set the stage for me when I actually got on my own health journey. I had a traumatic brain injury because I was horseback riding. I was a very athletic kid. So not the first time I had ever hit my (laughs) head, that's for sure. Um, But it was definitely the most impactful time. And what had happened was I was riding with a friend. We were doing a lesson for jumping. And this was not my first jumping lesson at any form or fashion. But it was my first time being at the stable with this particular horse. So while we were doing our lesson, I went for my first jump and somebody dropped limber. And so it spooked the horse. Well, when the horse spooked, you kind of have a couple options. You either stay on the horse, ride it out, figure it out, or you can bail. And my instinct was to bail. Well, that was a terrible instinct looking back in hindsight because my hand got caught in the rain. So I knocked my head. I was unconscious and I got dragged just about like 10 feet. And I was out for about two minutes, got home from the lesson. My mom realized, okay, this is actually not like any of the other concussions you've ever had. Like, this is really serious. So we went to the hospital and they diagnosed me with a mild traumatic brain injury. And it was really the weeks that preceded that, that catapulted me into this journey that I've been on since then. And so that was about in, I want to say 08. So I was like 14 years old. In those following weeks, I was in and out of the hospital. It was my first year of high school. I just got through puberty. So (laughs) lots going on in terms of mental, emotional, and physical. And because of that trauma, but also the trauma of my childhood, my body actually totally shut down. And I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. And if you know anything about autoimmune is autoimmune and trauma are like best friends. They go hand in hand with each other. So it made sense, like looking in hindsight. But when I was going through it, I was so upset because I was like, I just got diagnosed with this health condition. I walked with my mom throughout all of her health conditions. I was so healthy, so active. Why me, right? And when you have a thyroid condition, what can happen is your body can gain weight and it can be also really challenging to lose weight. And so I gained a good amount of weight in what felt like less than two months. And it was the first time I ever really had an issue with weight or even thought about my body size because I was always so active. Nothing ever crossed my mind about being in a larger body size or having too much weight. And so from the age of, I want to say 15 until just about 20, I battled with my body size, battled with my health, kind of felt constantly at war with myself. And I tried every diet. And when I mean every diet, like I tried the cabbage soup diet, the military (laughs) diet. I did keto before keto was a thing. I did paleo before paleo was a thing. I did intermittent fasting before intermittent fasting was a thing. Like if you could find it on the internet back in, you know, 2010 to 2012, I literally did it. And it was because I was so disconnected with myself from not only unresolving some of that trauma and like going through and processing that, but also because I was now in this newfound body that all of a sudden everything changed all at once. I just went through this pivotal point of going from an adolescent to a teenager and I didn't really know myself. And so throughout my high school years, I kept it really hidden that I had disordered eating that was actually diagnosed as an eating disorder when I was 19. And all my friends were just supportive because they were like, oh, you're, you know, you gained all this weight. So it makes sense that you're trying to lose weight. I was actually sharing in my intuitive eating support group that launched today that 
I would ask my friends to bring me veggie trays and watermelon cakes and all of these healthy foods for my birthday. But I was the first person, if it was your birthday, to bring you a cupcake or a cake. And so the cognitive dissonance was so significant. And it wasn't until I actually started to realize that this obsession that I had with food, this obsession that I had with my body was really disconnecting me not only from myself, but from other people, that I decided to enroll myself into a session with a psychologist. And she was pretty much like the catapult of the rest of my life. Like it wasn't for her. I really would not be who I am today. And she had so much compassion, so much care, so much just sweetness that she allowed me to take that veil back and see the not only like self-deprecation that was coming from it, but the disconnection that was there. And so she really illuminated me to my eating disorder. And I was never in a formal treatment program or outpatient or anything like that. But through her support, I was able to get introduced to intuitive eating. And it's so funny when I say that because when I first saw intuitive eating back when I was 20 years old, I literally thought it was another diet. I was like, oh my God, yay, this is something that's going to help me lose weight. I'm never going to have to do this again. Perfect. Let's do it. And it was so the opposite. It was so completely different than what I had ever expected. And it really set me on this journey of self-love, of reconnection, of understanding, of compassion, of kindness with myself, and also to finally getting on the same page with my body and recognizing that my body is always working for me and not against me. And so I officially kind of felt like I was recovered. I mean, recovery is an ongoing thing for everyone. Mm -hmm. And anyone who has an addiction or has had an eating disorder or mental health condition knows recovery is ongoing. But I officially entered recovery when I was 25. And that's actually when I enrolled in my master's degree program. And there was a part of me that really wanted to get my master's degree in nutrition for that sole purpose of fixing myself. And then there was also a part of me that realized that this actually could be the precipice of me giving back, of me being in service. And so I felt like through my degree, I was able to fill in the gaps with the knowledge that I didn't really get from places like the internet or from people who claimed to know so much about nutrition. And I started to understand that there's so much more to our health that is really rooted in this mental, emotional, spiritual, intuitive aspect. And when we really dilute it down to looking at the roots, there's so much there. And so I got my master's degree and then I've been in practice ever since. And really my big focus is supporting women to develop this healthy relationship with food as a foundation to their health. Because we can do so much with food. Food is such a beautiful, cognizant player in our lives. But until we can really set this stage of a healthy relationship with food in our bodies, it's really hard for us to start to construct that house. There's a coach actually at Parsley who came up with this analogy of we have to lay the foundation before we build the house and decorate it. So I like to see intuitive eating and that relationship with food as that foundation for us then to move forward in terms of supporting that overall physical health. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing all of that and for being so vulnerable with your journey and story. I resonated with what you said. For those who don't know, I also have Hashimoto's and it's something that I've struggled with for like five or six years now since getting diagnosed. And I also used to struggle with eating disorders. So I completely understand the cycle that it can cause. And I think they go hand in hand because you're struggling with working with and against your body. And especially with an autoimmune condition, it's like you could be doing all the quote unquote right things and your body still feels like it's not working as you want it to. So it can be frustrating and it can kind of perpetuate that cycle. 
Oh, 100%. Exactly like what you said, like doing all the quote unquote right things. And that's really where I think getting my master's degree in functional nutrition really helped me see that we could do all the right things. But until we start to get to the core of who you are on that mental, emotional, spiritual aspect, we start to remove the blocks. We start to process the trauma and really start to deal with you as a spiritual being rather than a spiritual being in a physical body. Mm. That's where we start to make changes into the body. There's the saying that I say all the time, and it's that our body hears everything that we say in our brain because our brain is our nucleus, right? If it wasn't for our brain telling the rest of this body what to do, our body would just be going haywire, <laughs> right? And so if we are constantly having this negative self-talk, of course our body is going to hear it. Of course our cells are going to respond in a way that you know mirrors that because your body wants to be in homeostasis and that is homeostatic for the body is being in alignment with the brain, being in alignment with the mental, spiritual, and emotional aspect of you. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like so often when people are struggling with either their physical appearance or they're struggling with something more emotional, their first thing is like, how can I do more? And pushing themselves and like, like you said, you tried every single diet that ever existed. And I'm sure other people can resonate with that as well. You just think, okay, what's wrong with me? How do I fix it? And you do more and more and more. And that puts more and more and more stress on your body and furthers that disconnect that you have. Exactly. It's that disconnect, right? Because we still go far outside of ourselves to find and seek and fix that we forget when we come home to ourselves, we have that intuitive knowledge. We know what works for us, even when we are disconnected connected. If we can just come home to ourselves, reconnect, we can take a step back and be like, you know what? Actually, intermittent fasting is making me binge at night. You know what? Actually, removing gluten hasn't really made a difference for me. And mm. my labs even show that. You know what? Dairy-free, I don't have an issue with dairy. So why am I going dairy-free, right? It, it's when we start to unearth all of the noise that we've been told that have especially as women that have led us to believe that we don't know enough about ourselves to actually yeah. be empowered in our own autonomy, that we have to go outside of ourselves. And I think that was also a really big catalyst for me is how do we reconnect back so that way we don't feel the need to go out. Like when I see my patients, I want them to eventually stop working with me. I want them to get to a point where they don't have to see me anymore. And somebody might be like, well, you're never going to have a job if that's you know how you think. You're not going to have customers. But it's because my job is not for you to be a customer. My job is for you to be self-efficacious in your own body, in your own autonomy, and to feel like you have the tools to really support yourself in your health. Yeah, absolutely. I just was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was talking about taking your power back and really getting back to your innate knowledge of your own body and to stop listening to all of these quick fixes. And I completely understand where it comes from. Like I've been in that place so many times when I was frustrated with like, why is my body not responding to the things that I'm doing? Or why do I still not feel good? I resonated with what you said. When I did intermittent fasting a couple of years ago, that was probably the worst I've ever felt in my life. And everyone was promising like, this is the quick fix it will heal all of your problems you're gonna have such better energy and focus and feel amazing I was like sure that sounds great everyone's preaching about it and then my cortisol was through the roof I felt awful it did lead to binging at night like it was so restrictive and it just took away from my life so much and when I really was like this is not working for my body at all even though hundreds of people are saying like this is the best thing on earth that's when I really started to feel better 
That's so beautiful. And it's so funny that you say that because actually today Johns Hopkins came out with a study that shows that intermittent fasting has been touted the same for weight loss. And it's actually not as effective as just eating consistently throughout the day. Yeah. I actually just saw a study that Forbes did on New Year's resolutions. And obviously the most popular New Year's resolutions are usually, you know, improving fitness, losing weight. And those are the ones that you kind of see this time of year. But this year, I was so excited to see 45% of people said one of their goals was to improve their mental health. And Gen Z specifically was likely to prioritize improving their mental health as their 2023 resolution more than any other generation, which was amazing because I think it is becoming a huge shift to really prioritize your mental health. And people are getting really interested in like, how can I become more intuitive in my own body? And I think learning how to become more intuitive and support your body's unique needs is a huge, huge part in improving your mental health. Oh, 100%. And I think to your point, like Gen Z has really shown even millennials, because I'm technically a millennial, that there's so much dysregulation that we've all lived with and normalized for so long. And I feel like Gen Z has been the first generation to be like, nope, this ends with us. We are done. We are done. Yeah. Definitely. I wanted to talk about that a little bit more, the dysregulated nervous system concept. Can you give some background into what is a dysregulated nervous system and kind of how it happens? Yeah, totally. As I'm actually putting on some essential oils for my nervous system. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so really, when we're talking about the nervous system, when we're looking at dysregulation, this is our body's response, whether that be through thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors in an apparent inappropriate way. So that could be an over response. So you might see, you know, people who are on the highway, you cut them off and all of a sudden they are like on your biscuits, like flipping you (laughs) off, going crazy. That is a dysregulated nervous system. Or someone who, you know, they had a death in the family or something traumatic happened and they just have like no emotional response. So it's really this dysregulation to responding to whether it be external events, persons, or situations by either underreacting or overreacting. And you get to a point where your nervous system is dysregulated like on an ongoing basis when you usually have not resolved or had unfinished stress or trauma in your life that you haven't been able to process through. Um, And what the interesting thing is, and I learned this from my own journey in therapy, is that when we've had a lot of traumatic events, the brain actually severs the hemispheres. So the left and right side don't talk to each other as much. And this is actually how things like dissociative identity disorder or split personality disorder starts to manifest. It's really a trauma response from the brain and it's a protective mechanism. Because when we are experiencing things like PTSD or, you know, going through our trauma, it's incredibly stressful for our nervous system because our nervous system doesn't understand the difference between what is reality and what is actually built up in our own brain. And so with that, it perpetuates this dysregulation of our nervous system or our inability to respond appropriately to stimuli. Mm, Interesting. So once that starts to happen and once you're aware that that's starting to happen, what are some ways that you've seen that can help regulate it or work towards regulating? Like obviously therapy is an amazing tool and it would be incredible if everyone could go to therapy, but I know that's not always accessible. What are some other ways that people can start to work on regulating their nervous system a little bit more? Yeah, I think having awareness around what is triggering or what is really creating that uncomfortable feeling in your body that signals to you that you're not safe. 
I think diluting down and understanding what creates a lack of safety for you helps you then start to regulate your nervous system because oftentimes we catapult ourselves into our sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight, flight, freeze, or fawn nervous system. And for the longest time, that nervous system was truly used in the face of a physical threat, whether that be a lion or a tiger. It's only been the past hundred years that we've had like true safety in terms of like four walls and not having to deal with predators. And so our body still responds as if we were, you know, cavemen out in the wilderness. And then we have the other side of our nervous system, which is the parasympathetic nervous system. That is the rest and digest. And there's a reason why it's called rest and digest is because digestion doesn't happen when we're running away from the tiger. All of the processes of peacetime making activities, so making hormones, doing tissue regeneration, clearing out our lymphatic system and, and detoxifying from the day, all of these things have to happen while we're sleeping because we're safe. We're in that parasympathetic nervous system. And so having awareness around our triggers, what makes us feel unsafe is a really great place to start. So that way we can then identify when that's happening and then build a toolbox to support our nervous system into understanding that there is safety, that we're not outside with a tiger running for our lives, that we are in a building and someone is just screaming at us and that is making us feel unsafe. And so things like essential oils, things like grounding, so physically putting your skin onto the earth's surface, doing singing vagus nerve stimulation, which is basically not to get too sciencey, but we all have this beautiful nerve. It's our 10th cranial nerve. It runs from our brain down to the enteric nervous system of our gut and even a little bit towards the reproductive area. And it is that gut-brain axis that everyone talks about. And it also is the light switch for our nervous system between sympathetic and parasympathetic, which makes sense, right? Because rest and digest, there's that nerve for us. And so engaging in things like meditation, deep breathing, singing, humming, all of these things start to tone that nerve which gives us the ability to flip that light switch in a way that's really supportive rather than if you've ever flipped a, a sticky light switch. That's how I like to explain a dysregulated vagus nerve. It's a lot shorter to move back and forth. A couple other things that are really supportive for the nervous system is, of course, nutrition. When we are not eating enough protein, healthy fats, and fiber, we can experience a lot of blood sugar dysregulation, which can relate into a lack of safety in our nervous system because we experience anxiety. And then really looking at embodiment practices. So things like yoga, getting a physical massage, somebody actually physically touching you, even having there's a therapy dough now where you can play with your hands, something that actually is tactile that brings you down into your physical body. I almost like to say from the headspace down into the heart space, that really helps our nervous system start to regulate. And then we can have that cognitive switch in our mind where we're no longer in the emotions, we're no longer in the behavior and the way that we want to act in response. We now can take a proactive standpoint and be like, like, okay, I'm observing what's going on. I'm observing this trigger. This is what I'm going to do to help myself. And I'm going to come back to this and I'm going to respond in a way that is actually productive rather than reactive and destructive. Yeah, that's so helpful. The blood sugar regulation is something that I've been very interested about recently. Like I've noticed such a difference. One of the biggest things I've been telling all my friends about is that they need to eat breakfast before having coffee in the morning. It is the that's one thing that I have switched <laughs> that has helped me feel so much better and so much more energized. That's another thing with the intermittent fasting or, you know, the hustle culture, wake up at 5 a.m. and pound a Celsius before going to the gym and like all these just stressors on your body. I was like, you 
must eat breakfast before having caffeine. And so many of my friends have tried it and said that they felt so much better. I know that's just one piece in regulating your blood sugar, but people forget the basics, I think, when they're not feeling well. And oh, they yeah. will spend like 100, they meaning like I've tried this and I'm sure you've tried this Me too. too. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you'll spend hundreds of dollars on supplements and all of these things and you'll try all this crazy stuff. But it's really going back to the basics. Yeah, and 100%. I think Oftentimes we forget that health is a business. Yes. And we are good customers when we go out and buy (laughs) all the latest things, when we forget all of the basics, when we forget the mom and pop, grandma wisdom, kitchen medicine, all of those things that we've been raised on for so long because it's a business. Mm-hmm. So if we can start to identify it as a business, we start to recognize, okay, let me take this with a grain of salt because I see that you want me to be a customer, but I'm more inclined in promoting my own health rather than just being a customer. So I had to say that because I think oh, oftentimes yeah. that idea that, you know, these institutions are there to help us, they are entirely. And I will never, ever, for lack of a better word, shit on conventional medicine. Yeah. It is. It saves lives every single day. It saved my mother's life multiple times. But I think recognizing the business aspect of it is really important for us then to stand in our own economy and start to go back to those basics or to go back to things like ancestral nutrition. Like there's a huge bone broth and bone marrow and raw dairy craze going on right now. I grew up eating bone marrow like once, twice, if not three times a week. That was something my grandmother always had available. Cottage cheese, something that I always had in my diet. And so when you look back to these ancient practices that our grandparents have been doing for eons, that's really where health lies, not in the next bottle that you're going to purchase, the next, um, you know, fangle dangle red light uh, bag to purchase, <laughs> right? It's, it's going to be in those those wisdoms that have been passed down for generations. Definitely. And I was just talking about that with a friend with New Year's resolutions. We were saying so many businesses and brands are just preying on your insecurities and they do a good job of it. They're very, very good at it. And it's easy to fall into the trap. But it's funny how things start to come around. I've been seeing all of the bone broth and the raw dairy things on TikTok as well. And it's like a year ago, people would have never said that. So it would have been like crazy. (laughs) People were vilifying dairy like crazy. I mean, even in my master's degree, there was vilification of dairy. And yet, there was also studies that showed how supportive dairy was. And I kept going back and forth. And I'm like, hey, this is so conflicting and so confusing, even for myself. And again, it goes back to that individual aspect. For some people, dairy is incredibly inflammatory. For other people, it is so supportive for them and for their bodies. One thing I saw actually on your Instagram was your seven pillars of health. And I thought that they were amazing for going back to the foundation of your body. Can you talk a little bit more about those? Yeah, totally. When I created my seven pillars of health, really, I wanted to dilute it back down to what is the practices that we have been doing as humans for forever. And so the first one is the course nourishment. Having an intuitive aligned diet that is diverse in plants, like fruits and vegetables, wholesome grains, nuts and seeds, but also to high quality proteins. And I was a vegan. And so my vegan self sometimes hate when I say this, <laughs> like animal proteins are incredibly high quality. They are designed to support our system because they maintain all of the amino acids that we need. There's no nutrients that block our ability to absorb them. It is all bioavailable or ready to absorb without any modification. So high quality proteins, animal sources. The second one is movement and movement in a way that's empowering, motivating, and also evokes a challenge, but is exciting and energizing. That is really what movement is designed to be. Our bodies 
very designed for movement. Like that is exactly what we were created for. And so when we put a human in a gym and we make them use that gym for punishment, we're disconnecting ourselves from part of our purpose. And so that's where I find movement to be actually such a beautiful aspect of who we are as humans and huge part of my pillars of health. The third one is hydration. I think so oftentimes we forget that we're over 70% water and that our brain is floating around in water every single day and just 2 to 5% dehydration can really cause cognitive decline. And unfortunately here in the U.S., and I'm sure this is for all across the world and not just centralized to the U.S., there's a lot of toxins in our water. And so I promote filtering your water. Ideally, you're going to remineralize that water because when we filter it, oftentimes a lot of the healthy minerals are also filtered out as well. But using some form of filter so you can not ingest things like fluoride and chlorine and xenobiotics, basically toxins in the environment that can really affect your hormones. And also to using things like botanical oils on the skin. There's a lot of companies. Venter's Daughter is like the one that comes to mind, but it's the most expensive skincare out there. Yeah. So where <laughs> other than like Barbara Sturum and a couple others, but it's probably my favorite serum. And I will splurge on something like that, but it's because it's so powerful. And it's again, going back to using plants as medicine. The fourth pillar is mindset. I don't think you could create a pillars of health without mindset because like I said, this noggin up here is telling all of this body of what to do. And so using things like mindfulness, using things like positive psychology and the ability to actually see the positive and the good in life, not to do toxic positivity because that's like its whole other story. And oh, yeah. I could definitely sit on a soapbox about that one. But any way that we can really start to reframe negative experiences into understanding lessons and, you know, deep wisdom, things like that. That's really positive psychology and how we can start to embrace challenge and change with ease. The fifth one is connection. How can we have connection with ourselves, connection in our communities, developing interoceptive awareness or the ability to understand the signals and signs that our body is sending to us? And the important part about connection is we have never really been outside of villages. Humans were designed to be in connection with each other. And so that's why the pandemic was so challenging for so many, because isolation is actually a detriment to health. Getting back outside, getting back into community with people is a really important pillar of our health. The sixth one is rejuvenation, prioritizing eight to nine, if not 10 hours of sleep per night, laying in the sun, breathing deeply, relaxing, enjoying and stress-reducing activities like yoga or meditation, self-care, not scrolling on our phones, even though I am also a victim to scrolling <laughs> on the phone. But any way that really, again, gets you back into connection with yourself, that grounds you into your physical being and allows you to deconstruct this idea that you always need to be productive. We have a very big productivity culture here in the Western world. And it's so funny when you contrast it with Eastern cultures that really force people to relax. There's actually countries that doctors will prescribe leave of absences for burnout because they recognize that when we are overproductive, it is a detriment to our health. And the last one, but certainly not the least one, is fulfillment. You cannot lead a healthy life if you are not fulfilled. And it takes a while to figure out what fulfills you. And it's not a linear journey. And it's not easy for many people because we might be going through our own unearthing trauma and processing and all that. But finding ways for us to travel, for us to laugh more, for us to cry, for us to fall in love. And I like to say live wildly. Any way that we can just be our most authentic and aligned selves and find what fills our cup up, that is also a huge pillar of health. 
Those are amazing. I absolutely love your pillars of health. They just promote everything that I stand for. Basically, all of your pillars of health touch on the podcast episode I have done or am going to do, which <laughs> I absolutely love. That's awesome. I just did one on rest and I finished the book Wintering. I'm not sure if you've read it. It's so yeah. good. It's very comforting. And I did a whole episode on it because it was just the idea of rest and how important it is and how other cultures experience rest and just how nourishing it is to the body. And we are all measuring our self-worth basically off of how productive we are, how much we can output in a given day. And it's so, so, so important to rest, but no one gives you a gold star for resting. So I feel like it's hard for people. <laughs> 100 i wish we could give out gold stars for resting because that <laughs> i feel like we'd all be so much more regulated <laughs> i know i know so i'm sure when you see patients and when you talk to people in your courses and stuff it can sound overwhelming to have these seven pillars and if you're at a place where you're just so far off from you know experiencing these buckets where are some places that people can start with it like if across the board they feel like their life is a mess and they just need something to help get started and build momentum yeah definitely I think taking an audit of what you're doing and recognizing how many places you're expending your energy is really important. Mm. As humans, we tend to give our energy so freely because we're very giving. And again, we want connection. We want validation. We want to be in understanding with each other. And taking an audit of what is really draining your energy is so important. And for a lot of us, it's work. And so where can we create more boundaries that are supportive? And of course, understanding that, you know, we work for someone and they have to exercise their boundaries as well but where can we create boundaries that actually support our overall well-being so we can start to enroll in things like intuitive eating or seeing a therapist or starting in a group class for yoga or meditation and we have space for that i think oftentimes and i was recently just there with being incredibly burnt out that you know i i didn't engage in any of my practices that keep me sane and centered and I was not showing up for my patients the way they deserved. And wasn't until I took that step back and said, there has to be a change somewhere. I have to make a change in order for myself to become the human that I know I am. That's when things started to have that domino effect. To go a little bit more into that intuitive eating piece, because I know we've mentioned it a few times throughout the podcast. Shana, would you be able to explain a little bit more about intuitive eating and what it is? Yeah, definitely. It's been trending on TikTok and I've seen a lot of what I eat in a day, intuitive eating style. And I think it is so beautiful because it is getting the word out there about intuitive eating. But one thing that I think people don't understand is intuitive eating is actually a structured framework. And one of the dietitians who created this framework, Evelyn Trebol, describes it as an eating framework rooted in respect for all bodies. And I don't know anything out there that has such a deep, soft, compassionate, approach to it. And so intuitive eating is not just eating based off your intuition, based off your cravings. <laughs> that is a part of it. It is a small piece of the pie. But intuitive eating has actually been validated by over 200 studies. So it is something that has been studied. There's validated tools for professionals to use. And there's actually real tangible outcomes that relate to your health that actually come outside of it. So things like lower total cholesterol and triglycerides, a greater ability to control your blood sugar, increased fruit and vegetable intake, consistent movement, all of the things that we know are intrinsically healthy that a lot of us are using weight loss as that catapult into doing. But there's a way to 
do it without even using that weight loss aspect. And so when I'm looking at the intuitive eating piece, one of the biggest things is being in alignment with our internal cues. A part of intuitive eating, and again, this is not the full thing, but a part of it is really understanding our hunger and fullness cues. You had mentioned doing intermittent fasting, and I find that when we are fasting, our body takes over, has hormones that are helping us to regulate, so thinking adrenaline and cortisol. And when we have too much of those, our body doesn't really get hungry because we're plugged into fight or flight, and that can lead to binge eating at night. And so when we are able to actually understand our hunger cues that are not just belly sensations, I've had people tell me they get heaviness in their legs, they feel heaviness underneath their eyeballs. Oh my God, I get that. Yeah. It's those small nuances that if we don't take a moment to come back into ourselves and and have a peaceful moment to like recognize and check in, we're totally going to miss them because they're small. But oftentimes you will hear people are like, yeah, I know I'm hungry because I'm hangry. I'm (laughs) irritated. I am bitching everyone out. I have a headache. I'm dizzy. That's because we're overly hungry. We miss that that initial cue of, hey, it's time to start thinking about eating. And so that's one piece. The other piece is what it comes to intuitive eating is also honoring the place that food plays in our lives. Food takes on many roles. For the longest time, food was a celebratory tool. It was a means of connection. It was a means of comfort. It was a means of cultural celebration. And oftentimes, especially with this clean eating culture that has been promoted by social media, we forget that things like rice and curries and all of these beautiful cultural foods that are quote-unquote unhealthy, that's actually very healthy for those people who are from those areas that grew up eating those foods. And so that is where I think intuitive eating is really beautiful because it honors that role that food plays in our lives while understanding that the relationship we have with ourselves, with our body, and with food can really be influenced by so many different voices and coming back into not labeling food negatively, having non-food-based coping mechanisms, be committed to our health rather than stopping and starting and falling off the wagon and getting back on. I just like to say, fuck the wagon. There is no wagon when it comes to our human bodies because you're not going to wake up tomorrow and put a new suit of a new body on. You're going to be in that physical body that you're in today. And so there is no stop and start when it comes to our health. And so that allows us to then make more compassionate choices and start to really dive into the kindness that we can show ourselves through food that is also very health promoting. I love that. That's so helpful to hear. And I think it just goes back to having respect for your body. And at the end of my yoga classes, like I always say, people like will leave before the final shot. So you used to teach yoga. I don't know. Do you still teach yoga or not anymore? I don't know. Yeah. I, I fell out of it, but I miss yeah. it. You can relate though. Like people yeah. will either leave or they'll be so fidgety and whatnot. It's so hard for people to sit there and sit still. And I always am like, you deserve this time just for you. In gratitude towards your body, your practice, your mind. This is so so nourishing and loving to your body to really just give it what it needs and let yourself sit in it. But I think people just, again, need that permission to do so. So that was very helpful, your explanation. Oh, yeah, you are so spot on. We all need permission to <laughs> like be kinder to ourselves. It's so funny when you bring up this idea of showing yourself self-compassion, especially for people like myself who are very type A, who yeah. have had to grow up at an early age, have always been very responsible, always been told that they're mature for their age. There is a big bucket of those people. And the idea that you get to have kindness for yourself what a concept because there's always this internal dialogue of I can do this I could be better I need to do more self-criticism what if we just showed kindness to each other and ourselves what different world would we live in 
Oh my gosh, I know. Right before my birthday in December, I got this little self-hug tattoo because I'm right there with you. Like I am type A. I have been very self-critical of myself in the past. I've been a perfectionist. I'm all of these things I've worked on and I know it's hard. It's not just, okay, now I love myself and that's perfect. It is every day a constant journey up and down. It is not linear. And I got this little tattoo to remind myself when I am, you know, caught in that spiral of just being so critical or so mean to take a step back and just try to reframe. And I was talking to one of my best friends two nights ago. We were going back and forth and we noticed we really, really, really have been cognizant of trying to be kinder. And it's funny, like, why is it so hard to to do? But I've spent so many years just being so, so mean to myself, saying mean things, being my worst enemy. And like you said, you're the first one to just be the most supportive, loving person to your friends, right? And you don't give that same love back to yourself. And the other week, I came home and I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I'm so proud of you. You're doing the best you can. I'm just standing there over and over. It sounds silly. Like, it couldn't sound cringy at first, right? You're not used to just looking at yourself and saying nice things. It is so foreign. And it made me feel so good and warm and fuzzy. And like, it just made me so happy. And my friend said she had done the same thing. And she's so used to being like, why aren't you doing this? Why are you tired? Do more. Like, why can't you just X, Y, Z? And this week, she's really been like, you know what? You're dealing with a lot and I'm proud of you. And it's hard and you're doing the best that you can. And it is a tough mindset shift, but it's crazy that all it is is really just a mindset shift. It is your own voice inside your head entirely that's so beautiful and so profound i'm so happy you and your friend got to experience that <laughs> i feel like also to having that camaraderie and that other yeah. person to be like no you're not crazy i just did this too and i feel so much better like it really just gives you that ability to be like okay i'm onto something and you know that piece that you had mentioned like how challenging it is i like to explain it as like you're going for a hike and this is really a metaphor for neural pathways when we have been doing something for so long it's like going on a hike. There's a beaten down path. We get from A to Z fairly easily. You know, there's some struggle along the way, but we get there. When we're trying to create new neural pathways, when we're trying to change our internal self-talk, we're trying to change our habits, trying to change our beliefs, we have to create that trail. We have to beat that trail down ourselves. So we've got to go through brush and snakes and spiders and <laughs> all of the whole nine yards. And it's hard. And it sucks. And there's so many moments where you just want to turn around and go back onto that beaten path because it's so much clearer and easier. That's exactly what our brain is doing when we're trying to rewire ourselves. And so just remembering that you're creating your own hiking path. You're carving out this trail moment by moment with what you say. And there's going to be times where you're going to hop back onto the beaten path. And that's okay. <laughs> because guess what? That trail is still waiting for you to continue to beat it down. Mm, I love that analogy. That is so good to visualize. Is there any ways that you found that have been helpful in starting to rewire, or retrain those neural pathways that people can utilize? Yeah, I think having the ability to be really honest with yourself and mm. it's hard. It's not easy. I think so half of the, everything I've said in today's podcast is not easy. This is all challenging <laughs> and it takes work and it takes years, but you have to find that intrinsic motivation that you're worth it, that you are worth the challenge and, and the tribulations to get to that person that you know you are inside. So when it comes to rewiring, I think it's often flipping things on its head. So like, for example, with intermittent fasting, if you're realizing that, hey, you know what? I don't really know my hunger cues. I am binging at night. What if I just eat three balanced meals consistently every single day and eat snacks when I'm actually feeling hungry and recognizing what comfortable fullness feels like and starting there. 
rather than continuing to do something that I am noticing is not working for me. And I might have the propensity to intermittent fast tomorrow after eating an amazing three balanced meals today. That's okay. I think the more we can have compassion with ourselves when we go back to our habits, rather than beat ourselves up and feel that need to like get back on the wagon, that is the best way for us to start to rewire, but also doing it in a way that is supportive. You're never going to beat someone into submission. You can try, but it's going to take a really long time. So why are we insisting upon beating ourselves into submission? Yeah, definitely. It's that quote, like, you can't hate yourself into a version that you love. I was reading this thing and it's like, you've tried that a million times. You've tried being mean to yourself a million times. You've tried whatever you're trying a million times and you still don't feel good. Like, it doesn't work. So what is the harm in trying something else? It's almost like exposure therapy. It's uncomfortable and scary and hard to let go of practices that you're so used to engaging in. But if you can get yourself to do it one time and just see how it works and then maybe you go back, like you said, and then maybe the next time you do it twice. And then showing yourself a different way of doing something and realizing that you're still okay and proving to your body that it's still safe is the goal there. That's it. That's the tweet right there. Yep. <laughs> That's, that is the tweet. Yeah. It's difficult though. <laughs> I understand for anyone listening that is struggling with this. Shayna and I have both been there. So, you know. Yeah. I am tough. constantly getting still comfortable there. with being uncomfortable <laughs> every single day. And if it wasn't for Lauren Bostick, do you listen to him? Oh, yeah. Podcast. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've been listening to them since they started. And if it wasn't for Lauren repeating over and over again, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, yeah. I would never challenge myself to get out of my comfort zone because our comfort zones are so safe. And when you grow up in an environment that is unsafe or you have a lot of environments, where you've been unsafe, it's hard to get comfortable with being unsafe again. But there is beauty in getting uncomfortable and finding a new safety zone and reestablishing what it looks like to be safe. Yeah, definitely. Oh, this is so helpful. I feel like this is an amazing conversation. I love it. In terms of intuitive eating resources, I think the intuitive eating workbook is a really beautiful place to start. It can be really challenging, and I just Mm. want to throw that out there. I think there's a lot of folks who will provide recommendations for resources and things to do and not also provide the risks associated. And especially when you come from a background of trauma that is unresolved, when you're going through your relationship with food and unearthing and understanding those roots, there's a lot of emotions that come up. And a big one is anger. And anger is really just a mask for sadness. And when you are starting to walk that journey, it can feel really heavy and discouraging because there might be a lot of triggers that pop up from other trauma that is just blended with your relationship with food. And so I always say use this intuitive eating workbook with a professional that knows how to support someone who is rubbing up against their relationship with food and finding that it's not a healthy relationship at that time. Thank you for sharing. I can't wait to check them out. For those people that are interested in trying intuitive eating, you've done a little swaps graphic on your Instagram. I'll post it so that everyone can see. But do you want to talk through a few of them? Like if you're doing this, you can try doing this. Yeah, definitely. I think that there's been a lot about like being hard on ourselves. So I like to flip it on its head of instead of engaging in high intensity workouts, you know, five to seven times per week, because that is what you've heard to balance your hormones and lose weight and improve your strength and your muscle tone. But you're 
stressed as hell because <laughs> you are on back-to-back meeting of Zoom calls and you know, you've got a horrible relationship with your partner or what have you. We're just cultivating more stress because when we have hormetic stressors like high intensity workout and hormetic is basically a stress that's actually viewed as a good stress for the body. So like sauna sessions, cold plunge therapy, these are all known as hormetic stressors. When we compound that with actual stress, it's just a stress. Mm. It's no longer a good stress. And so instead of being so hard on ourselves and putting ourselves into this narrow pigeonhole, what if we just use low impact workouts? What if we just got in tune with our bodies and went to yoga classes and actually stayed through Shavasana and (laughs) had that uncomfortable moment of being quiet with our own brain, which I hear you can be pretty scary, but the more we can become our own brain's friend, the the better we are. Um, That, you know, when we can make that switch of recognizing, okay, this is just making me more stressed, more burnt, more exhausted. I'm just saying enough is enough. I'm going to try something different, like low impact. That can be a beautiful way for us not only support your gut health, which does not perform well in stress, thinking about the nervous system earlier on in the conversation, but also to our hormones, our cortisol levels, all of these things that are so important for the regulatory nature of our system. Going back to the productivity thing, you know, viewing rest as being a lazy waste of time. Oh my goodness, how much we know that is not true nowadays and, mm. and how we can actually view rest as a way to rebel against things like capitalism and against our Western culture. There's actually a beautiful creator who has really embodied rest as this ability to be rebellious to this productivity culture. And so I like to say scheduling self-care, scheduling rest like an important meeting with yourself that you cannot cancel because we all schedule meetings that we try not to cancel. But where do we schedule meetings with ourselves that we try not to cancel? And Mm. so really taking that moment to say, I'm going to take care of my nervous system rather than continuing to burn my nervous system for the sake of productivity. I think the last one I'll share is really the one that you had mentioned about having coffee with food and not having coffee before food. Because oftentimes coffee is a stimulant. It's the one thing that's going to shut off our appetite. It's the one thing that is going to get our cortisol going and our adrenaline going so we can show up for our day. This is why coffee has become the most popular and most commonly used drug around. And it is a drug because it's addictive. But where can we take a step back from that and honor the fact that we need sacred rest, that we need to prioritize a sleep schedule that really is supportive for our energy levels. And not only are we going to wake up energized and refreshed, for the most part, sometimes that's not always the case. And there's some things that go alongside of that that are physiological we won't dive into. But ideally, we're waking up refreshed and we have an appetite cue. Having an appetite cue within the first 90 minutes really signals that we have a healthy metabolism, that our body is like, all right, we're ready to rock and roll for you. Give us nourishment and we will do anything that you want us to do. So creating routines that support that. So if you are constantly scrolling before you go to bed, which I will be the first to admit, I am in that bucket right now and it is so hard to get rid of. I know. I've been doing that lately also. Like you, I was in such a good rhythm of reading before bed and I was like, this is so great and supportive. And then the last two weeks I've been on my phone before bed and it makes me feel awful. Like it's so hard to get off. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you know, so much goes into that addiction piece about like stimuli and dopamine and all of that. And, you know, we have just these little dopamine feeders in our hands. So it does not make it easy for our brain to be like, all right, let's shut this down now and do something boring. Especially if you have like neurodivergence or ADHD or things like that, where you already are kind of on a dopamine deficient side of life. But having routines that really support sacred rest, having routines that really support our sleep cycle, but also too, when we wake up in the morning, what are we doing? Are we grabbing our phone first thing in the morning, diving first thing into this abundant world that is social media and not even taking a moment to connect with ourselves and also recognizing that, yeah, we probably could eat right now or we could probably go get some sunshine on our eyeballs and and reacquaint ourselves with the world around us rather than this imaginatory world that we've all created online. Yeah, definitely. It's so funny, the hunger when you're waking up thing, like after I struggled with an eating disorder and also after I stopped doing intermittent fasting, like one of my small wins is being hungry in the morning. And the last four or five months, I wake up and I'm hungry in the morning. And it's, you know, me a year ago would have been so critical of that. Like, oh, no, you can't eat yet. You have to eat some random time. Like who even says, why can't I eat until whatever time frame? And now it's something that's exciting to me. And breakfast is one my favorite parts of the day and it's the first thing I do in the morning because I wake up hungry and then I feel just so ready to start my day I feel so calm and focused rather than me stressing out about food for like the first four hours of my day and so distracting Oh, yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think that fixation, that piece about food and being obsessed with food really is because your body is like, "Um, I just fasted for eight (laughs) to 10 hours while we were sleeping. I just had liver make us a whole bunch of blood glucose to keep us nice and stable for us to do all these amazing activities for you. And now we're not getting replenished. I'm going to continue to tell you that (laughs) I need food and I'm going to make you think about it until you give me food. And that is where we start to mistake the body working against us versus the body working for us. Our bodies are always trying to stay in homeostasis, even if that homeostasis is dysregulated. So where can we meet the body where it's at and understand that my obsession with food is because I'm not eating enough, because I'm Mm. not eating on a regular schedule, because I'm ignoring my hunger cues. I actually got off the call with a patient last night and she has trained herself to basically not have hunger cues anymore and can go a whole day. And she is a, oh my gosh, talk about productive and successful and just such a high profile individual that can run on just cortisol and adrenaline all day because she's trained her body to do that. And that is where we start to be at war with the body is when we start to ignore that we are living in a physical vessel that has needs and requirements. And it's completely separate from our wants and desires on a mental, emotional level. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I completely agree. I think the shift from being at war with your body to being at peace and nourishing your body is the number one most supportive thing that you can do for your mental and physical health. And I think the more people try to tune back into that and the less they give their power outwards, the more changes that they'll start to see. Yeah. 100%. I agree. I want to be mindful of your time. The last thing I'll ask is what are some of your favorite daily or weekly practices that you do almost like Shana's non-negotiables for your day or week that you like to engage in? Yeah, definitely. I'll start with daily and then I'll go to weekly. Daily, I have to make my bed every morning. That is like <laughs> a huge non-negotiable for my brain. And it's because I have had ADHD for my entire life. So for me, having a clean environment is so helpful for my brain to actually process the day. If my bed is a disaster, I feel a disaster. And so that's been something that I've learned over the years. And it took me till I was like 24 years old to like actually acknowledge that, you know, having the bed made makes a difference. If you don't make your bed, do it one day and trust me, you'll be addicted. So that is one thing that I have to start my day off with. And then the next thing is having a daily walk. 
daily walk outside. I try not to time myself, but you know, sometimes I have meetings and clients and things in my schedule. So I need to either cut my walk short or cut my, or have a longer walk. I really aim for just about an hour, if not an hour and a half outside. And that's really my time to either come back to myself. I won't listen to anything. I'll just kind of be in nature. I live in Tahoe. So I have nature accessible to me at every corner. And I'm very, very blessed for that. But even when I did live in a city, that was a huge cornerstone of my day. And it was the one thing that I really did for myself that allowed me to not only allow anything that was going on in my mental space to fall away, but for me to move through emotions. I mentioned that our bodies are designed for movement and a huge way that we process our emotions is through somatics, through movement, through actually physically moving our body. There's been a lot of practices with shaking when we have like trauma and anxiety. It's because it's physically moving the energy and the emotions in our body. And so that's one of the ways that I take care of both my mental health, but also my physical health. And then of course, nourishing. At the end of the day, protein, fat, fiber, that is something that I preach to all of my clients. And it also gives you the ability to discern what does that look like? What protein do you want to eat? What healthy fat do you want to eat? What source of fiber do you want to eat? If it's a sweet potato with some grass-fed butter and a steak on the side, incredible. I'm so happy for you. But where can I make sure that I'm at least hitting my body's needs in those macronutrients in a way that I enjoy and tastes really good to me? So I have been definitely master chefing it up these days. I watch the Food Network religiously because I always want to find new ways to cook things. Mm -hmm. And I'm really getting into making a lot of like Indian curries. So I love mm, vindaloo oh and like I made a butter chicken the other night that was more vindaloo than butter chicken, but it was so good using things like lemongrass. And those are things that I would have never thought of before healing my relationship with food because I thought, you know, chicken, rice, broccoli, this is, this is healthy, but there can be so much flavor and enjoyment in our food. And so that's a huge part of my day. When I look at my week and also meditation, I mm. fell off the wagon when I was going through my intense burnout and just could not imagine just taking one moment for myself, which which is so crazy to think back to. But meditation is a huge cornerstone as well. And I will do that at the beginning of my day. A couple of things really are so impactful for me and that's embodiment practices. And I mentioned this earlier, yoga is something that I have to have scheduled into my week, whether it be one class, a couple classes, if it be yoga sculpt or aerial yoga. Aerial yoga is my absolute favorite. I need to have some form of embodiment practice in my week. That can even include things like acupuncture or massage. And I don't do those very often. I do them probably like once a month and try to oscillate the two. But having some form of practice that gets me back into my physical body is a huge part of what keeps me regulated. Yeah, I love those. Oh my gosh, thank you for sharing. That's the best. Shayna, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. I've been looking forward to this episode forever. You are so amazing, so well-spoken, just all of the good things that I think we need to hear more and more of. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you, your accounts, anything you have coming up? I know you have your intuitive eating course that started today. So I just want to make sure that everyone can find you and I'll link everything in the show notes. Totally. Yes. So you can find me on both TikTok and Instagram at Nourished by Shay. My TikTok is definitely a work in progress, but we are getting there, y'all. <laughs> and then my website is nourishedbyshay.com. And I just started a intuitive eating support group. It's a small group coaching container where we are walking through the intuitive eating workbook. Like I mentioned, it can be really challenging to walk through that workbook alone. And so I've created this space for predominantly women, but I am also open to expanding that to men as well, because men also struggle with their relationship with food and body image as well. Um, so that way they can have a container where they feel really safe to share what's going on with them, gain support from like-minded peers. 
and be able to have a discussion about their experience because the more we can communicate what's going on internally, the more we can normalize, destigmatize, and also to find acceptance within ourselves because we find similarities and support from others. I plan to do this once a quarter, so check back with me in April. Um, I try to make it very affordable. It's about less than $40 a session for the 12 weeks, so quite affordable. And then I'm also going to be launching a non-diet nutrition course, and it's really going to be coming from a lens of teaching you honestly, the dry basics of nutrition. So that way you can have that ability to be like, okay, I know what nutrition is from a scientific level. I understand what foods are medicinal in certain ways and how to use them. I know how to cook in a way that's supportive for my health. And now I also know how to delineate what is diet culture versus what is actually rooted in true health. And that's my intention with this course. I don't want to sell you a course that's going to show you how to eat and what to eat and what to do with your life. What I want to show you is the science. So that way you can then apply that into your own physical body and decide and decipher what is best for it. That's amazing. Yeah, it goes back to giving the power back to yourself instead of taking it from other people. So I love that you're doing that. That sounds absolutely incredible. And if you want to check out Shayna, she has the most empowering, amazing, inspiring content. She's one of my favorite people to follow on social media. So I definitely recommend you go check her out. If you're new here, make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day or night or week. I am so, so grateful for all of you for listening and for following along. And I will talk to you again next Tuesday. Thank you.